Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy Show and Tell, episode 73. Show and Tell is the RPG Academy show where we bring on a cool guest to talk about something cool that they're working on. And today's cool guest is James Intracasso. And that cool thing that we're going to be talking about is the upcoming Fantastic Layers Kickstarter and 5th Edition module. Welcome, James. Hey, thank you, Tom, for having me. Uh, you know, I, when it comes to coolness, I think you might be cooler than me. Um, so it, it's a cool show with a cool guest, but the host is the coolest. And so I just want to get that out there. I want to get that out there. High praise. I appreciate that so much. All right. You know, I, I you need that positive affirmation sometimes. Exactly. So we're, okay. Perfect. <laughs> we're gonna feed off. We're gonna feed off each other. Okay. So, James. You got something new coming out, all right? Mm -hmm. Fantastic layers. I think at this point, I think everybody who listens to our show and everybody who listens to every other RPG podcast (laughs) knows who James Intracasso is at this point. (laughs) But for those who don't know, just kind of give us the brief snippet of who's James? Sure, yeah. So I'm a uh, RPG podcaster and blogger and uh, primarily these days game designer. Uh, So I've worked on seven Wizards of the Coast hardcover books uh, is probably what most people would know my my work in, right? I worked on... um, Dragon Heist and Dungeon of the Mad Mage and Descent into Infernus, Rising from the Last War, the upcoming Theros book, and uh, also the Critical Role uh, Explorer's Guide to Exantria and Ghosts of Saltmarsh. So that's all that's all seven right there. Um, it is. Yeah. And uh, and then I also, uh, you know, ran about games on Twitter and uh, and stuff like that. So it's a it's a lot of fun. I'm a DMs Guild adept. I have a bunch of DMs Guild products. So, yeah, I, uh, I'm all over the place. I'm, I'm in your RPG soup as it were <laughs> you are i didn't i i kind of i've tricked you to come on this podcast because actually what i'm gonna do is i actually pulled all of my players who i ran dragon heist with and we're just gonna i'm just gonna air grievances oh boy uh well so anything you didn't like was written by james hake uh i just want to make that clear that uh <laughs> he wrote all the bad parts of dragon heist Perfect. and i wrote all the good we'll take parts. that yeah, yeah. we'll take that up with the other james then <laughs> no, no no i kid but Instead of going and talking about your, your past with everything, one of the things I want to uh, ask you in order to really let our listeners know about you is out of the last year, you've worked on so much stuff. What is one thing that you're, you're the, the one thing in the last year that was like, you were really, and obviously you're proud of everything, mm-hmm. but what was one thing that you're really excited to get out the door? Yeah, oh, that's a that's a great question. Um, I think so. For me, uh, the Explorer's Guide to Wild Mount. I was really, really excited to get that out the door because um, uh, Matt Mercer really let us uh, kind of play in his sandbox however we wanted uh in a way that like you know like he had final say obviously and would thumbs up or thumbs down stuff but like he let us go real wild with some ideas that uh that are in the final product that were not pulled back at all um so that for me was like a dream come true because i'd be like matt what do you think of a village of super intelligent yetis and he was like sounds great let's do it right like awesome and that's in the book uh so things like that um, you know, like Matt, what do you think about a bunch of super evil, intelligent magic items? And it was like, yeah, great, let's do it. And now there's, you know, like a good six pages in the book devoted to 
all these magic items you can get that are super evil and going to try to manipulate you. So, uh, so yeah, it was fun to, uh, to be able to, to work with him on that. And it's been very, very well received. So that's probably, I'm, I'm very excited that that's out now and that I'm able to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. That's as a, as a creative type, that has to be like one of the best things when you get to just have that full creative license to do what you what you want and have that freedom there yeah yeah it was it was huge it was very very huge so that that was great yeah and now there's a lot of stuff coming down the pike tom that i want to tell people about but i cannot yet (laughs) what i'm sure in the next few months we're gonna hear all about the project (laughs) that james intracasco is going to be doing so no but the one particular that we want to talk about today is the fantastic layers yes so this is a new kickstarter that's coming up and so go ahead and what is the what's what is Fantastic Layers? So Fantastic Layers is a book that I'm working on with uh, Mike Shea, aka Sly Flourish, and Scott Gray, and it's a book of boss battles and uh, lair encounters, basically. So um, if you remember in fourth edition, there was this book called Dungeon Delve that was like a bunch of short, you know, three or four room dungeons that you could build out uh, that often had a cool climactic encounter in them. That's what this is. These are uh, lairs, little dungeon crawls meant to be like the capstone encounter, capstone session for, uh, you know, campaigns and adventures that it's like all right we've been building up to this now let's go kill that night hag kind of thing yeah the information that you sent me the whole idea of it being a capstone Mm -hmm. because when i think capstone i traditionally think of this campaign level 20 ending thing which this is not what this is right yeah so so capstone to story arcs right is like kind of the way we're thinking of it capstones to little adventures that would lead up so right in curse of strahd uh, you know, you might have a couple of mini bosses before you actually fight Strahd, right? And so our intention is to fill out mini bosses for you like that and also uh, hopefully provide campaign level, uh, you know, some of those capstone, capstone encounters as well. Um, those are stretch goals uh, to, uh, so right now we, the, the book initially covers like levels one through 10, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, we are going to flesh out all the way through 20, with stretch goals if we get that far with the kickstarter and you'll see some crazy stuff like a uh, blood uh a uh, cloud giant castle made of a red cloud that rains blood and is a cloud giant vampire boss right stuff like that really really wild things so that's dark yeah that's very, yeah it's very dark exactly I, they, <laughs> the i also saw that you had uh a, a some stuff with bugs and I was all sorts of just there's all sorts of stuff in here. It's it's very cool. But when it, what what's the what was the inspiration? What what you um, Scott and Mike? What was the moment where you all said, "Hey, this is a product that should exist"? And why do you all want to make this? So Mike, uh, I am a, a big fan of Mike. He gave me a lot of advice when I was first getting into podcasting and blogging and stuff. And then he actually said, "Like, hey, we live." near each other we don't anymore i have since moved away but uh he ran a bunch of games uh that i got to play in right so he was my dungeon master for a while uh and i approached him and said i i'd love to work with you on something like let's let's do it you know you've you've taught me so much can you teach me more and he gratefully said yes and then we kicked around a bunch of ideas and that full ebook dungeon delve came up and we said wouldn't it be cool if you had that but the hook was like 
there's an awesome encounter here with a boss monster in each one of these, right? Uh, and Mike said, hey, I've been working with Scott Gray. Let's ask him to come on because he's really smart uh, and, a, and a great designer and a really good editor, and we'll bring him in the mix as well. And that's sort of uh, how it came about was, um, you know, uh, me literally asking Mike, can I work with you on something? And and it came up that way. Uh, and I think the reason, the real reason behind this is that Boss battles, I think, are hard um, to design sometimes. We want them to be special, right? Like in our video games, right? Um, boss battles are like things that stand out uh, among the other encounters we have. And I think that's true in movies, in books, in uh, all of our media, right? That like that boss battle is way more important than the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles just kicking the foot soldiers' butts, right? In the in the Foot Clan. Um, so, uh, so we wanted to create a book that would help GMs, uh, get through those awesome encounters. And, uh, and we came up with the name fantastic layers because we realized like the lair is as much a part of the boss in dungeons and dragons as the boss itself. Absolutely. And I think boss battles, they really are. They're hard to do. It's so hard to make it. So this is not just a sack of 200 hit points that just drags and to add those interesting elements. And it's one of the things that I personally struggle with when I'm running these games. You'll have this really cool like two or three session arc and then you get to the end and then the boss battle just falls flat and there's nothing more disappointing than that. Yeah, yeah, and I, I agree, right? I've run a lot of games where it's like, oh, yeah, we're building up. Here it comes. We're going to, you know, fight the the queen of the lizards or whatever it is. And then when it happens, it's just like, oh, this is it's been inevitable for the last three rounds. The players are going to win. But, you know, the queen of the lizards still has hit points left. And it's like we've got to sit here and, and for the next half hour because I'm determined to make this fight uh, memorable. Right. And then it falls flat. And so that's one thing where we are trying to help GMs avoid in this book. Uh, and there's also a lot of, in, in typical Mike Shea, Sly Flourish style, there's a lot of advice, too, about what to do. Okay. Yeah. And I, I think one of the keys is giving options, right? Uh, so every everybody's different. Every group of players is going to be different. You might have six paladins in your group and another group might have like a more traditional wizard, cleric, you know, bard, uh, rogue fighter kind of thing going on. And so one thing that we're doing in the book is we give a bunch of different options to help keep things interesting that, Hey, during the boss battle, it's not just the boss, right? You've got your environment, you've got your lair. So here are things that are happening in the lair. Your boss probably has henchmen, who are also part of this. And then your boss has all of these options that they might invoke to make the fight more interesting. You know, maybe um, you're in a lair that the boss has built and they hit the self-destruct button on that lair. And now it's like, now players, you've got to make a choice. Do you stay here oh, no. and kick the butt? Um, do you try to grab as much treasure as you can and haul butt out? Uh, you know, what do you do? Uh, or, or sometimes, right, like, if a boss has prisoners they've taken, well, maybe they're threatening those prisoners. And you, now you've got uh, uh, two problems to solve. You've got a boss that you want to destroy. And you've also got prisoners who are slowly being lowered into a pit of acid. Right. Um, and so it's it's all about like giving the GMs those options, but then also making sure they know your hands are on the dials. Right. So you okay. can do 
whatever you want. If you want to use these elements we've provided, here's how to use them and here's how we think is the best way to make them exciting. But if you want, hey, you know, the the winch breaks and now that uh, those people are falling a lot faster into that pool of acid, go for it, right? Uh, hey, this boss battle's going on too long. It's obvious the players are going to win. We've had a good time. Suddenly the boss only has one hit point left, right? And And you can do that. Or, oh, wow, this was a big hit in the first round. Uh, I'm going to turn the dial up on the hit points of the boss because there's a lot of cool stuff they can do that I want my players to see, and it hasn't gotten there yet. So it's mostly about, like, monitoring the fun of your players, right, and and keeping the battle interesting and, and challenging, but also it's more than a battle, right? What else is going on adding that to the mix? Yeah, it's it's having the having those choices built in, but then I think... You you clarify, but you did say that you do have like, hey, this is this is the the, the well designed like this is how it should go. But here is some options that we're adding in. Exactly, exactly. Even to the point of like, we have optional boss monsters at the end, right? That say like, hey, if you want to make this encounter less deadly right like you you think this is a cool encounter but you're like there's no way my group never gets to level 15 we don't want to play the level 15 version here's what a level 10 version might look like here's what a level 5 version might look like right and and maybe your oni is a night hag or a sea hag right like like can we swap those things out and similarly swap them up right like i've already used the cool level 18 encounter in this book, but I didn't use this level five and it has a, you know, an archmage in here that I could use instead. Maybe I can scale this up. Right. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's part of it too. When I think Mike Shea, Mike has written so much about um, combat encounters and how to keep things balanced and balance in fifth edition is it's, it's one of those finicky things where it's there, but it's very hard to achieve. So really, I want to I want to dive into the not necessarily the balance process, but what was Mike like in this this design <laughs> process as far as making sure that things were balanced? What did that look like as you all were working together? How much did he care about making sure it was balanced versus making sure it was cool and entertaining? Yeah, that's a great question. So Mike, uh, cool is always his first concern, right? Um, I think he's balance matters a lot to him at lower levels. He doesn't want somebody's first D&D game to end in a, in a TPK and then have them be like, well, that was great, you know, and, and walk away. Uh, I, uh, it's funny cause I am of a different mind. I'm like, yeah, lower levels can be deadly. And I think that that's fine. Uh, as long as you're sort of getting a read of your players and what they want, right? If, if your players are going to be upset by that, by all means. And then at higher levels, Mike is like, oh, my God, we need walls of acid and we need like <laughs> throw the kitchen sink three Tarasks, you know, like we're, we're oh. doing it all. Um, and so uh, so it is it is funny to see he's got this opinion that like the game should be kind of get much harder as it goes on. Right. And I think D&D many groups have the opposite experience. It starts hard and gets much easier as you go on. Um, and, uh, and so I think, uh, I think that's one thing that, that he looks at a lot, but he, he's not too worried about balance in the sense of like, we're following guidelines, uh, some very loose guidelines. And we pass everything around between the three of us after we write something and, and we'll say like, here's what we're thinking. Here's what we're doing. Um, but, 
everything's going to be play tested. And so that's where we'll get some better ideas of balance. And I think, you know, balance means a lot of different things, right? And so like as a game designer, one of the things I'm concerned with when we talk about balance is balance among player character power, right? Is there something for every player character to do here? Is there a cool role-playing encounter in this lair? Is there some cool exploration stuff and of course there's going to be combat right is there is this encounter way way easier for paladins and therefore nobody else gets to shine right all that kind of stuff um because i think as long as your players feel like they're all kind of equally contributing that is the most fun right and then as far as monsters go every group is different and every person gets in different moods sometimes it's fun to run rampant over an encounter and be like wow we destroyed all those goblins and everybody still has all their spells and hit points good job everybody right uh and sometimes it's uh, great to have like a knockdown drag out fight and i think for boss fights it leans heavier towards that end right like you want to uh, for me an ideal boss fight has everybody at the end like I have no spells left uh, um, out of all my resources, but we did it, right? (laughs) Um, That moment of desperation. Exactly, exactly. No, I think what you said was super important, just allowing, giving all the players something to do. And I do not, I am so glad that I am not an RPG designer and I do not envy you at all (laughs) because when I run games, you have, you, I'm like, you know, I'm just running a game for my friends and I build this encounter. I'm like, oh yeah, this is the coolest thing ever. And then they just, they, they think about it in a way that I never anticipated them Mm -hmm. approaching it and it just goes completely different so the play testing process for something like this is i I just i'm sure i can't imagine yeah yeah well and i think you know a big thing for for us is right i we we talk a lot in design about like you know the pillars of D D, right your your social your exploration and your combat um but i think that those pillars lie in the hands of the players more often than not right the players decide if they're gonna swing their sword through a horde of goblins or try to trick them or try to sneak right like and so for me i think it's keeping that in mind and saying I don't like to say like, this is how you overcome this problem as a designer. I like to say, here is the problem. Here's what's happening. This is the situation in this dungeon. Here are some things that could be done to overcome these obstacles. But, you know, sometimes your wizard has their finger on a uh, like a meld into stone spell that's going to change everything. And that's cool. And that's fine. And so, uh, you know, you learn from playing with great GMs. Uh, Tom, one of my favorite games I've ever played was with you leading it uh, at a catacon. So, um, yes, people, this is a great Thank GM. You. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it means a lot, James. Yeah. That's and it was game. it was super fun. And it was like heist style. And uh, and you were very much like, okay, what what are you going to do? Right. Like, tell me how you approach this thing. And that's how we want the layers to be, too, is is taking inspiration from GMs who who like that. And we're encouraging GMs to like, hey, listen, let the players approach the layer how they want to. Right. There's there's a couple of ways in here. Um, we've provided all of them. And because we think it's fine for them to take any way in or if they want to, you know, uh, hack down a wall in this tavern and and go in, you know, like blowing up the side of the wall like they're the SWAT team. That's also OK. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah give them some levers to pull on and just give them 
and then see how it works. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, you know, those, I find it's actually easier to write that way too. Uh, you use fewer words when you say, here's what's going on. When you try to dictate, like, this is how it's going to go. You, you use more words and it's also more frustrating for the GM because their players inevitably don't have that script in front of them and wouldn't stick to it if they did. <laughs> it's very frustrating as a GM. <laughs> so, you know, so how one of the things that I'm really curious about then is layers at lower level, because mm -hmm. when I think of a how do you then what is the difference between a layer at a higher level or a higher tier in Dungeons and Dragons versus a layer at lower level? And how can you really make those lower tiered layers really be memorable for the players? Yeah. So I one of the first things I would say is like the term layer uh, can mean a lot of different things, right? I, the first thing that comes to mind is like a cave with a bunch of stalactites and stalagmites, right? And uh, Or whatever, reverse those, right? Stalagmites <laughs> and stalactites. Uh, but anyway, you get it. So they... Uh, you you've got uh, a, like an old dirty cave and there's a monster in there. Right. Um, and we certainly have that. Um, but we also have like a candy shop is a lair at one point. Um, we have two mobile lairs, one that's an airship and one that is uh, a giant war machine that looks like a red dragon. Um, you know, we've got uh, uh, like a, I'm, I'm working on all of the stretch goal ones right now. So those are the ones that are in my mind, but like we've got one that takes place in a, uh, on a university, like a magical Harry Potter style Hogwarts. Uh, there's, there's a monster lair in there. So like there's a zoo uh, as one of these things. So, I think that's the first thing is like when we talk about lairs, we mean this is a place where there is a villain. Uh, there is okay. some sort of boss monster. Right. And so uh, I think to help make things memorable, um, breaking out of that is is really important uh, and giving at, at lower levels. I think thinking about the sorts of things the characters face all the time. Right. Um some like common low level tropes are like the pit trap, right? And the, uh, you know, the, the tripwire and the like thinking of those and saying, okay, how do I avoid these? Or how do I change them to make them memorable, right? Um, and it could be as simple as like, uh, at the bottom of this pit, I put a gelatinous cube. And so now when you fall into this pit, you can't just climb out, <laughs> right? It's not like, a oh, you took 1d6 damage and now you're, now it's like, Hey, what happened to Bill? Oh my gosh, Bill's down there and it looks like he's like hovered in midair as this gelatinous cube is eating him, right? Oh um, no, Bill. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, um, you know, for low levels, it's that. And then it's also thinking about your boss uh, and what is the story of your boss and how does that make your boss monster unique? Um, so because I think for high level layers, there's a lot of them and we can think about like, uh, yeah, this layer is very cool because this is Strahd's castle and Strahd lives in this castle and, and it's very vampire-y and dark gothic and, you know, you're going to spend weeks getting lost in it before you finally meet him and and all of that kind of thing right so it's the same thing right what makes that special is Strahd is like a traditional gothic vampire and so you're gonna find um creepy stuff in his castle because he's he's a creep um same thing with lower level is like think about what makes your boss different first what makes your boss uh so if if we have a low level adventure like a with a cockatrice boss right um 
what makes this cockatrice different than others? Uh, and so we, uh, you know, we worked on this, uh, layer and Mike said the the thing that's going to make this different is it's, uh, it's like a fey touched cockatrice. And so it can teleport everywhere. And that also affects the dungeon then. Right. So, okay. So now we've got this fey touched cockatrice. The dungeon is also fey touched. So, so all of a sudden you're in this cave and wait, there's like weird flowers growing everywhere and glowing crystals and, and, Oh, there's all of these horrible stone images like people have been, you know, turned to stone by the cockatrice who are now broken apart. Uh, And and right. That's memorable. You remember like, oh, this when you learn that that those that rubble on the ground was once a person, you're going to remember that. Um, So it's that kind of thing. Yeah, that's super cool. Uh, One of the things that I've heard you talk about on uh, this is a, a kind of a, a sidebar question, okay? Mm-hmm. So one of the things I've heard you kind of talk about on your podcast is taking and stealing from pop culture. And yeah. the when I think about layers, I think I go to Star Wars so often because of how many great layers. You think about yes. like Jabba's sail barge, the Death Star, where the Emperor is. You think about the Cloud City. So many great layers in yes. Star Wars, in pop culture. But do you have any what's like a what's one of your favorite layers from movies or tv or books that you you absolutely love oh that is a great question what are some of my my favorite layers so uh i really like indiana jones right and that i think those movies are chock full of layers um and themed layers right like uh i think about the um the last crusade uh, where the holy grail is kept like that that is a death yes. trap dungeon right that is a straight up like tomb of horrors style death trap dungeon um and so i really like uh the the sort of pulpy nature of that um the other thing that i really like is uh, i i watch a lot of uh the expanse and i'm reading the the novels right now for the expanse and the latest season of The Expanse, they kind of end up in a dungeon. I don't want to give too much away about it, um, but that is some inspiration for GMs right there. Uh, and there's uh, really when I think about The Expanse, every season they end up either in like this giant spaceship complex that is filled with, uh, you know, cool, like sort of like a modern twisting dungeon. Right. Um, or a. Uh, uh, or a lair um, that is ancient. There's like a lot of ancient kind of alien technology in the expanse. Um, and that is very cool too. Cause it's like weird psychic aliens uh, that like yes. put images in your mind and that kind of thing. So yeah, Indiana Jones and the expanse are two of my, my favorites. James, I did not think you could get any cooler, but you told me that you like the expanse and I love the expanse. I love the expanse so, too. <laughs> so good. Everybody stop listening to this. Go watch the expanse. And then come back. Is come very back. Good. Yeah. And that's funny that you say that because I never really, those really are those ancient alien ships. Those are layers. And mm-hmm. so there's so many, like you were saying earlier, there's so many different ways to think about a layer. It's not just the the cave with the the bugbear in it or the beholder. It's There's different ways to think about layers. So looking at fantastic layers then, what is, what's one of your favorite layers 
whether you got to write it or Scott or Mike, but what's in the book right now? What is one of your favorite layers that are there? That is uh, an excellent question. So one of my favorite layers is uh, a candy shop um, that is, uh, this is, this is spoiler territory here, uh, but it's okay. run by like a sweet old lady, um, who turns out to be a night hag. Um, and the reason I really like this lair is because it's all kind of candy themed, um, uh, but it's like gross candy themed. So there is, uh, there are, uh, she's got like this bubbling vat of chocolate that can come to life and it's actually a, an ooze, right? Um, she has a, uh, a monster that, uh, uses, uh, we do, we take liberal, liberal use of reskinning and, and tweaking of abilities in the book. So there's a monster that's a shambling mound, but really it's a pile of taffy that she has chewed up and spit oh, out no. and like in this giant mound of, of chewed, you know, taffy uh, and that kind of thing. And then she is turning people into um, toffee statues. Uh, and so there's a chance that you could get turned into a toffee statue uh, when you when you go there. So, yeah, it's a, it's good that's, fun. That's awesome. So, <laughs> no. So, oh, yeah toffee statue i don't think there's i'm sorry players i don't know the D spell to cure yourself from toffee so <laughs> looks like you're stuck all right so um thinking back also because i'm sure there's stuff that you all cut from the book and obviously you don't have to share all of your secrets but is there anything that is not going to be in this book that looking back you're like, this is cool, but it just wasn't reasonable to include here. <laughs> yeah, so we brainstormed, right? We have about um, 20, 20 layers, including the stretch goals. Uh, we brainstormed about 50 different layers. That's a lot of yeah, layers. Yeah, it's a lot of layers. It's a lot of layers. And some of them got cut, like, for one reason or another. Uh, so, for instance, right, um, a layer might have gotten cut because we already have this one night hag layer, but we had these other night hag layers that were pretty cool or that kind of thing. Um, so, I there's a, a lot of... Uh, great ones that uh, I think ended up on kind of the cutting room floor. We definitely have the 20 best in the book, um, but there are some that it's like, oh, I really wanted to explore that. Um, And so uh, there was one that I really wanted to do. We've already got a were rat encounter that is great uh, in the book um, that is all about this were rat who is stealing up all the silver in a city, right? Um, Because it's like, yeah, if there's no silver, you can't harm me. And so this is my great plot. Uh, (laughs) uh, uh, But I had this idea for a group of lycanthropes that kind of like the Brotherhood of Mutants was going around biting people because they were like, yeah, we're obviously the next course of human evolution. Like, we're great. Why wouldn't you want to have all these cool werewolf powers and be a werewolf? Um, and so, like, that was their plot, was they were going and uh, and biting people. And I was going to have them... And we have the zoo idea, like, sprang out of this, kind of. Um, I was going to have them on in a state like a like a like a noble estate that they had taken over and filled with all sorts of uh, wild animals as well right so they had filled with like wolves and bears and tigers and rats and all all the things that the lycanthropes are so you wouldn't know 
Which okay. what is a lycanthrope and what is just a normal animal? <laughs> That's I, oh, I expect that to be in Fantastic Layers too. Okay. Okay, you got okay. it. Okay. Yes. All right. Yes. <laughs> so, so talking about layers, one of the other things I wanted to ask you about is so there are layer actions that are part of Fifth Edition. I think back to mm-hmm. the or the very first adventure for fifth edition which was the the rise of tiamat and all of the dragons included these layer actions so could you um wax profusely about what is a layer action and do you all include them in this and how can we use them in our games yeah totally so uh, the layer action kind of at its most basic level is a way of evening the playing field uh, with the action economy right um so uh, you know dragons uh, are big creatures meant to be like solo monsters, right? You, you kind of often fight a dragon by itself. Um, you might fight henchmen before you get to it. Uh, but the dragon itself, uh, sometimes is that way. And so layer actions, uh, the way D and D works, if everybody gets to attack and then the dragon, that's a lot of punishment. The dragon is taking. So a dragon might have legendary actions, which are extra actions it can take. And then layer actions, which are actions the layer can take. Like the dragon has, magically it's so powerful and magical uh it is influenced its environment and it can do things like you know make an earthquake happen or uh make a jet of flame shoot up out of the ground right or poison gas pour out of the ceiling that kind of thing as uh an extra way to hinder the players and not make the battle so easy for them um and so we have uh we have a lot of creatures that either have layer actions, right? So so you can sort of refer to their stat block to use them. But we also, each layer has unique aspects to it um, that are often can be used. And so we don't typically tie them to the creature the way 5th edition does because we want you to be able to swap creatures in and out and stuff. But okay. what we say is like on the third round of combat, the layer does this. This happens, right? Um, and so that is how we have embedded layer actions uh, in there is because the layer itself, like we said at the beginning, is a character. And so uh, we looked to the layer actions of dragons and other creatures as inspiration for like, hey, what can layers do? Because at the beginning, Mike and I were like, yeah, you're going to fight this boss. There's going to be a big pit and then you can get thrown in the pit. And, uh, all right, what else? Uh, okay. So we got this pit, right? And so it was like, we need to be able to think beyond that. And we also want, right? Like if you're buying this book to make your life easier, you can probably think of a pit and put that in yourself and don't need, uh, Mike, Scott and I to tell you, uh, this is how a pit would work. (laughs) That's you've heard it here, folks. The sage RPG designer advice is think beyond the pit by James Intricast. That's right. So, although I will say you did mention star Wars and some of the best star Wars moments happen over giant, giant pits. There's so many good pits in star Wars. (laughs) Whoever is star Wars is so good. All right. It's great. It's great. But, uh, But, um, Thinking about um, these these layer actions, one of the things I think is really cool that you said, and it makes me really excited about this, is that you said that on the third round of combat, this layer action happens. One of the things that I ran into when I was running Tyranny of Dragons is that these dragons have these layer actions, but as a dungeon master, I've got so much on my plate, I just forget to use them. Right, right. 
<laughs> so having that is it because I think also of the, the Ghost of Salt Marsh recently, there is a, an encounter where you're in the belly of a ship and this giant squid comes in, grabs the ship and starts wrecking it. And it includes like, hey, on this round of combat, this happens. And on this round of combat, this happens. So I think it's interesting that you all are including that to kind of make it a little bit easier on Dungeon Masters. Yeah, exactly. And and again, you can make that stuff adaptable and say, you know, you can swap these around if you want to. It's it's basically that simple, letting Dungeon Masters know like, yeah, if, if on this round... Uh, you don't want to do the earthquake because everybody's flying, and so an earthquake's going to mean nothing to your players. You know, skip ahead, right? You you can do that kind of thing too. So it's a uh, it's really super fun um, to be able to think about like how is this lair going to mess with people, and how can the villains exploit the lair? Right? Uh, we rarely, uh, even in encounters with dragons. We rarely have an encounter where you're, it's just you and the boss monster. We are, are often uh, having like, hey, it's this boss monster and a bunch of kobolds that are running around. And the kobolds are flicking switches and making crazy things happen. Uh, and it's annoying, right? So it's like instead of the kobold just dealing maybe five damage around if they hit right we have the kobold being way more annoying because pulling that lever is way worse than the kobold coming up and stabbing you and so now you want to stop that kobold you made kobolds more annoying all right another <laughs> reason to get this book okay um so if you if somebody were to go to your your twitter right now they would see obviously you're talking about this book and you've shared some art the cover of this what is the it's you have you, this is some really good art. What is this cover? <laughs> so a uh, guy named Jack Kaiser, who's a very good artist, uh, made this cover. And it is um, uh, adventurers uh, in a uh, sort of back-to-back fighting a group of gnolls. Um, and they're in this, uh, you know, like this redstone temple. Um and rising up behind the knolls is this giant naga, this giant winged snake. Um, it's got its wings outspread uh, and it's looking menacing. And then you can also see that the adventurers are kind of backed up against a pit. And within that <laughs> there pit, <it> is. <laughs> uh, there are a couple eyes uh, floating around. And so some boss battles, some bosses, uh, you might actually have two kind of boss creatures in it, right? Um, and so this is actually one of those. There is a uh, a lair uh, where there's a naga, and nagas don't typically have wings, right? So first of all, what's that about? Why, why does this naga have wings? What's what's it doing there? Uh, and then what is this uh, creature or many-headed creatures in the darkness uh, that have their eyes sort of blinking at you? Uh, and I will say, I got another piece of art that relates to the same layer for the interior of the book, and it is quite good. Uh, so I'm I'm very excited. Yeah, there's uh, it's it's meant to kind of draw you in and see show you like we're not effing around. There are going to be some yeah. crazy uh, fun and hard battles in this book. You have said also publicly that there is lots of art and maps included mm -hmm. with this as well, and. Even if I don't ever get a chance to run something at the table, I will purchase an RPG book purely for the art. I mean, it's yes. something nice to look at. So I'm excited to see this art, especially if it's of the same quality that is this cover. 
Yes, definitely. It, it is. So Jack has done a lot of the interior art. We also have a lot of other great artists. Um, Allie Briggs uh, did this beautiful cockatrice piece for us. So we've got a lot of awesome art for people to check out. And um, so right now, fantasticlairs.com is live uh, where you can sign up for a mailing list. We'll, we'll mail you when the Kickstarter goes live. We'll email you. Um, but you can also join uh, the Sly Flourish Discord, uh, which has a Fantastic Layers channel where Mike has been dropping some art previews. Um, okay. So you can also, uh, if you want to see some more art, uh, come join us on Discord uh, and and see stuff there. It's uh, fantasticlayers.com. And I'm sure Mike and Scott and I will all be tweeting out uh, art once the Kickstarter begins as well. Fantastic. Yeah, we'll make sure that we put all that stuff in the show notes here so people can definitely go check that out. But we haven't said, when is this launching? Yes. So June 1st, and it runs until uh, July 1st. Uh, So, yeah, yeah. So it'll be, uh, it's going to be a a fun month, June, hopefully. Um, You know, and it's a very sort of simple Kickstarter backer options. You've got your PDF and you've got your PDF and print options. Uh, It's print on demand. So, uh, you know, it's it's not expensive, but you will then pay later again for it. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I I think more and more people are familiar with how print on demand works. So that's great. Um, And uh, and yeah, and you'll get to see like all the fun layers we have planned and and what's coming up so yeah yeah i'm excited yeah yeah i know mike's previous kickstarters were print on demand as well and like you said there's a lot more people who are moving towards that but those who don't necessarily know what print on demand is could you like could you explain a little bit about what that is sure yeah so uh, i a lot of smaller creators are moving towards print on demand and there's uh, we can get into the reasons why but first the way it works is when you uh purchase uh so like our kickstarter when you get the print on demand option uh it's five dollars more than just the pdf and you then get a voucher uh that you'll be able to redeem immediately when you get it you won't get it and for a while but once the once the pdf launches you'll get this voucher and that voucher means that you can get the book at cost you're just paying for the ink paper and glue uh to make the book um and whatever the the shipping price is and the reason we do that is because uh books if you print them yourself or work with a printer to do them you you purchase them in a what's called a print run right and so you can buy like uh buying a thousand books at a time it's cheaper per book than buying 500 books at a time you know the the more bulk you buy the cheaper it is per book the problem with that is that smaller creators uh, can get themselves into trouble and then not deliver on Kickstarters because they need to they need to factor in all of the mailing and all of those print costs themselves, which are constantly changing. Shipping costs, yes. especially international, and the price of paper, ink, and glue are constantly shifting. And so you might plan your Kickstarter for one and then be like, oh, no, it's more. And then you go bankrupt and don't deliver the product. So. Yeah, and if there's anything I can say about the the Kickstarters that I've backed that were print on demand for anybody who hasn't done it, it actually it's so much simpler for the mm-hmm. creators that there is such a obviously you've done so many Kickstarters, but there is just a there's so much a higher likelihood and there's almost that this is going to you're you're very comfortable saying that this is going to deliver on time or when it should just because there's so much logistics that have now been taken out of the realm of the creator that are being put on the shoulders of people who do this stuff day to day. 
Exactly. And it's often cheaper for the consumer because the smart thing to do, right, is to say, well, I'll overcharge during the Kickstarter because I, you know, I am safer. I am protected as the creator. Whereas this, we can say like, hey, we'll make our five dollars for the for the print version. um, And then uh, you all get the book at cost, right? Whatever that's going to be. Um, And so it is it will be a much cheaper thing for you than spending, you know, like a 60, 75 dollar print tier reward. Yeah, absolutely. So definitely make sure you check that out. But before we close, close things out, James, is there anything else that you want to tell our listeners about Fantastic Layers or just why they should? This is it. This is your last chance to sell them. Why should they go get this book? Uh, so this book is a labor of love that we've been working on for a long time and, and will continue to work on. Um, I've been playtesting a lot of the stuff with my friends, uh, and we have had a blast uh, doing this. So you're going to find a lot of unique bosses and layers that you would not typically expect but they're also totally able to drop into your game either as like capstone adventure or also like hey you just need a one shot and you want some friends here here's a layer it's four pages you can read over it while they're getting their pizza and then you're good to run a game so uh it's versatile it's fun Uh, go check it out absolutely and so james before we go can you let everybody know where they can find out about yourself on the internet and also where they can find out more about fantastic layers sure yeah so fantasticlayers.com for more information about fantastic layers uh i'm at worldbuilderblog.com where i blog about way more than world building these days uh and i am also at jamesintracasso.com on or no not dot com just jamesintracasso on twitter <laughs> there you, you're jay at james intracasso no no it's at james intracasso that's it yeah no so absolutely james thank you so much for joining me today don't forget folks june 1st check out fantastic layers kickstarter yes thank you so much tom and thank you to everybody for listening this was a delight thank you for saying that james and as always we like to close things out remember if you're having fun you're doing it right yes thanks for listening to the rpg academy podcast We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize, but there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time.
The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.